play golf again today and I was on fire. One thing about lockdown, my game has definitely improved. Uh, and we went to a pub for lunch, which is slowly becoming the norm again, thankfully. Good times. Hi, I'm Chris. I'm just a normal guy. Well, at least I was, until my son killed himself. Now nothing is normal, and I'm realising that nothing ever was normal, and nothing will ever be normal again. But thank you for joining me on My Argument with Grief. So I mentioned that we'd had the inquest. You might be surprised to hear this, given that they usually take up to a year to schedule in. We were even more surprised. Turns out, if they believe it to be a relatively simple case, they will offer families the option of a fast-track inquest. This is a lockdown thing, apparently. We didn't know this, so it was a bit of a panic when it was offered to us. A panic because we wanted to be sure that this means they would still do a decent job of it and that all of our questions would be answered. We were reassured that the processes involved were identical. The paperwork would be the same. The decision-making would be the same. The difference is that the inquest would be held online, without us being present. The offer of avoiding having to attend something very raw and difficult sometime next year was very tempting, and we were given the weekend to think it over. I guess we struggled slightly because we just weren't ready. Our heads weren't in that place. We'd parked this whole thing in our minds and were concentrating on our charity work. We rang them on the Monday to say let's do it and were told they were going ahead on the Friday. We knew it was the right thing to do but suddenly our lives stopped again for a week as we lost focus on all other things and fretted about this. What were we fretting about? An inquest only has to answer four questions. Who died? We all knew the answer to that. When? I knew to the exact minute, but I did want to see if the police had reached the same conclusion. Where? Again, I knew, but I wanted to know what they knew. And how? To us, there was an obvious answer to that, but we hadn't seen the post-mortem, so wanted to know their details. Of course, it's the bits not covered by those questions that are even more interesting. Why? What did we do wrong? How can we stop it happening again? A coroner doesn't really cover those things. They become the huge questions that we will carry for the rest of our lives. They become things like this podcast, a search for impossible answers. We waited by the phones on Friday and got the call late in the day that it had been done and that it was a verdict of suicide. No surprise to us, but we would have been in one hell of a pickle if it had been a different verdict. So hearing that my son killed himself came as a relief. How crazy is that? But the other possible verdicts didn't bear thinking about. We were told we would get a recording of the inquest and the paperwork in the post in a few days. On Tuesday, the postman did his duty and there I was staring at this envelope wondering how I was going to open it and deal with it. Everything they knew about my son's death was in this one package. The recording, the statements, the police records, the post-mortem report, everything that they had. And they also returned to us the items he'd had that night that they had kept for evidence. We eventually plucked up the courage to open it and played the CD recording that they'd sent. It was 50 minutes long. 50 minutes of detail 
around how they were answering each of the four questions. How they had determined who it was, when he did it, where it happened and the cause of death. What became apparent through the pauses was that they knew this recording would be going to us. So they were skipping over some difficult details, saving us from things we didn't want to hear. Which is crazy. Firstly, because they still sent us the paperwork which did have those details in it. But more importantly, and this is an open message to all coroners, what are you protecting us from? Why do you think we shouldn't be made aware of these details? You can't hurt us any more than we've already been hurt. Don't assume that we don't want to know this gory stuff, because we do. And I speak for most suicide families who will all say the same thing. I know because I've spoken to quite a few of them about this. So yes, the paperwork included a lot of terrible detail. Things that are hard to process. Things that create horrible images in your mind. And yet, we can say, quite honestly, that we needed to know that stuff. It may seem strange. It may seem cold. But that stuff doesn't bother us anymore. We've learned to deal with the nasty stuff. As I said, nothing can hurt us anymore. What does hurt, what does bring tears, is not that detail. No, it's the questions I posed earlier. Why and what did we do wrong? Officialdom can't deal with that. We have to work that out. What has helped is confirmation from the coroner that Ben made a sober, clear decision. His decision. A terrible decision. Definitely not his best one. But he had all the chances to reach out for help, loads of alternative options. He could have just gone to bed that night and woken up the next day. So there we go. I have now some paperwork filed under Don't Ever Touch This Again that answers some basic questions. I was right about the time and location. That helps. My first session with the psychotherapist this evening um, it's been deemed by the experts that I'm on to that stage, the next big step on this journey, uh, and that I'm now ready for psychotherapy. I'm quite looking forward to that, just chance to speak honestly and openly um, with someone who might be able to unlock some doors, um, metaphorically speaking. I'll let you know more about that. Ben's ashes had been with his mother for a month since the funeral. And as we agreed, it was time for me to take half of them. They're heavy. That was my first impression. Turns out they're not ashes at all. And I never knew that. And I pride myself on knowing facts. They're crushed up bones and teeth. Basically, what is left after the cremation. Ben was quite tall, so they weigh quite a lot. So Ben now sits on top of the drinks cabinet next to his picture whilst we work on our ever-growing list of places we want to scatter them. There are many special places, and this really matters to me. I'd explained in a previous episode that I have a connection to places, and there are so many great memories of special places with Ben. It will take a few years to scatter them all, and will involve travelling the globe. But I'm doing this because it feels right, and it's what he would ask me to do if he could. And I'm going to finish today by talking about something completely different. Well, slightly connected, but very off-topic. I'm going to use the privilege of my platform to lecture all you guys about something. 
And yes, this podcast is my platform, so I'm at liberty to do this. I've been using this podcast and our charity Facebook page to focus somewhat on men and why they struggle to open up about mental health and to seek help. And I've been trying to tell them to get better at this stuff. But we're pretty bad at getting other things sorted too. And I'm as guilty. A couple of weeks ago, I discovered a lump in a place that gentlemen just don't want to discover lumps. Two days later, I was standing in the doctor's surgery with my trousers around my ankles showing off my new lump. Just another two days later, I was in a hospital having a scan. An ultrasound. Yep, that thing they use to look at babies. Well, turns out they can use it to look at baby making equipment too. I then had a few nervy days to wait for the consultant to get back in touch with his findings. He rang me last week. I don't have cancer. So guys, it's great that we're tackling the stigma of mental health, but we also need to have less stigma about our tackle. And I'm not just talking bollocks. Actually, that's exactly what I'm talking about. But please check them, like we've been told to do countless times, and get them looked at if they're not right. It's not as embarrassing as you think. Well, it is. If, like me, you forget your trousers are still around your ankles when you try and walk back to your chair. Very strange having Ben's ashes in the house now. Uh, But in a nice way, it's comforting, actually. It's nice to say good morning to him and good night. He didn't say much back, but I kind of like it at the moment. Even though you're forever on my heart I miss you loving so You glow in the dark Join me next time on My Argument with Grief.